Hi guys, how's it going? This is Sound Advice from Ballard's LLP. Hi everybody, my name is Ben Orman. I'm a partner here at Ballard's and I'm a head of business services. I'm joined today by Steve Jones, who is our business development partner, and also by Mark Bowen of MB Insolvency. Hi Ben, all right? Hi Ben. So Mark, you're the principal at MB Insolvency. Can you give us a little bit of background as to what MB Insolvency does and what your background is and, and how you came to do what you do now? Yeah, okay. Oh gosh, in terms of how I came to do it, that was completely by mistake. I'm I'm old enough and I, I'm not sure how many other people are old enough to remember the, the civil service kind of panel interview process and exam process, but I applied to work for the Inland Revenue in Droitwich at the medals office, if you like made the mistake of putting banking as my number two choice and ended up working for the official receiver in Gloucester, not having a, a clue what the official receiver did. And I think the banking thing was really about bankruptcy. And I thought I was going for an interview there and actually I'd already got the job. So I defaulted into uh, into insolvency in 1996. So quite some uh, some years ago now. And then from there, a few years later, I ended up joining a firm in Worcester, which is probably well known to a lot of people locally, who merged through various other kind of accountancy practices through to Clement Keys. I left them, went to PwC, more Stevens, and then 15 years ago, made the leap of faith and um, set up MB Insolvency. I guess for all of those years, I've, I've probably done the, the, the same thing, which is deal with owner-manager businesses principally who have uh, encountered a, a difficulty or two in the uh, in the company trading lifespan. Mark, you know, I, I sort of oversee our marketing side. The important question is, you know, how on earth did you come up with a name like MB Insolvency? You, you must have racked your brain for hours and hours on that one. I did rack my brains for hours and hours, ironically as that might seem. But everybody that I spoke to said, if you're going to do a Mark Bowen-led insolvency offering, use your initials and make yeah. it that and we've kind of yeah. stuck to that principle yeah yeah well you, you're really you know outside of, of professional services world you're obviously really really well known across Worcester are you a, are you a mona I am actually born and bred in Droitwich yeah well there you go yeah you know and it's to me it looks as if you know the brand is just over everything sports in Worcestershire you're you're a, you're a, you know you're a big sponsor of grassroots and some of the senior teams how did what's all that about is it just very keen on sports well I think growing up in the town I, I kind of I took advantage and have been fortunate enough to participate in a lot of sport particularly football um yeah. and I know over the years how difficult it's been for a number of organizations a number of clubs so I guess I've been fortunate enough I guess to to be in a position where I've been able to give a little something back as it were um did you, or, did you play for the Solvent for, um, for Droitwich I I played a few games for Droitwich but I didn't I, I wasn't really a footballer in Droitwich yeah. I played for a lot of teams sort of around Worcestershire but but not really Droitwich yeah and what was your position then a playing position yeah I, I yeah. probably the same as my professional career I was an attacking fullback yeah <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Last night, actually, I um, I was coming back from Droitwich Spa under tens training. As you know, I sort of do some some coaching um, with yep. Sunderland's team. And on the way back yesterday, we stopped at the chip shop for for him uh, at the new what new one, which is actually very nice. Let's fry up by the uh, the Red Rose. 
shout out to, to Let's Fry there. And they had the last week's program or a couple of weeks ago program on the on the counter. Yeah. For for the Deutsche Bar senior team. And I, I obviously I know that you're the main shirt sponsor for, for Drawbridge Spa Senior. And uh, I didn't realise, as I was going through the um, the programme, you actually were the directors of Drawbridge Spa. I didn't realise that. I just thought that you just were, were a sponsor. No, no, no. Well, actually, I, I would, in terms of the team as it sits at the moment, I suppose as yeah. one of the founders. A few years ago, I helped the team. They were struggling to get to the end of the season financially, and I helped them out a little bit. Uh, we'll come back to financial implications and stuff mm-hmm. later. They approached me while I was out and about with my wife one evening, and I gave gave them a bit of sponsorship soon through to the end of the season. At the end of the season, we kind of reviewed things, and I thought there was a bit more that Droitwich could do as a football club. So I, I introduced a couple of extra people to the to the party who it resulted in really in us taking over the team, trying to move them to a better league, get some better players in. We were quite lucky that we we had a little bit of a a joint venture with Worcester University. So we've got some good quality young academy lads in. And I get at the time, I don't know if you well, you, you will do because of football, but the Salford thing was kicking off as well. And we were kind of sat having a chat saying, wouldn't it be nice if we could do something like that for Droitwich, like bring a better club, a, a better stadium, a, or even have a stadium would be a, a big thing. And it all kind of developed from, from there. And the same lads that started it as, are still involved. We've, Funded it a little bit, but not massively, because at every stage, the community, foundations, the Football Association, lots of things have come together to help fund it. I sponsor it. That's quite a nice thing to do. And yeah, it's It's club now, 36, 37 teams. Yeah. Yeah. And more being added, uh, particularly in the adult sort of equation. So we've got new under 21, under 2018 sort of offerings next year, Floodlit League teams. What is it? It's a it's a great club and a great community. So yeah. thank you for everything that you um, that you've done and continue to to do for Droitwich Spa and, yeah. and football in the community and the rugby club. Don't forget and the and the rugby club and most of our other yeah. sports that I see. cricket yeah. club. Yeah. Yes, cricket club. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's for another podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, shall I bring us back to business? <laughs> as much as I like to hear about sport, really, what I believe is that however busy you guys are as a real litmus test to how small business is doing locally can you give us a bit of a, a background as to what you're seeing in the market what the trend yeah are you super busy or are you quieter than you i would say super busy yeah so nationally so if we talk about the national statistics at the moment pre-covid you were probably nationally looking at somewhere between it's a wide range, but 1,100 and 1,500 insolvencies, corporate insolvencies, that is, a month. That dropped off during COVID, as you would expect, because there was support for companies. And a lot of companies that maybe had difficulties, had a bit of COVID support and survived, and many of them will survive. At the moment, the stats are at 2,000 insolvencies a month. So it's lifted yeah. 25%, let's say. And we've seen that replicated in the numbers that we're doing. So... I think I've said to you before, we would historically be doing somewhere between six and 10 corporate insolvencies a month. At the moment, we're, we're running at 16, 17. Yeah, it, it's, it, the, the, numbers are, the numbers are higher at the moment. The ingredients to the reasons behind, I suppose, the failures in inverted commas, because it's not always a failing on behalf of the company. It's just, you know, I suppose that's the description that we give it. 
uh, a relatively consistent pre and post COVID. But uh, but yeah, it, it's busy. The stats nationally say it's busy. The sectors, strangely, haven't really changed. So right, I was going to say, was it is it the, is there any particular sector that's affected? Or are we talking across the board here? At the moment, people see lots of pubs closing. Over the years, I've dealt with lots of pubs. Pubs have for, for different reasons have, have often closed. Construction is still a big contributor to the number of insolvencies, which that's a very strange one, if you like, given that. During COVID, people in construction could carry on working. So, you know, what's the reason for that? Retail is a is a big number uh, or a big contributor. So, so construction and retail probably account for a third of insolvencies. Um, okay. Retail probably comes as little surprise because we're all watching more void units on the high streets uh, appear. What we are seeing at the moment, I guess, and this does book the national statistics, is more kind of service industry failures. So estate agency businesses, support businesses for computer services, uh, employment agencies. We're we're seeing more of those kind of businesses than we did pre-COVID. Printing is another area that's that's been suffering, but I guess that's we're in a digital age. It's probably suffering pre-COVID as well. And is the service um, the service sector? Is that are you saying that's to this particular area, or is that a national trend as well? It's a national trend as well. Yes. Um, I mean, surprisingly, we're seeing at the moment fewer kind of engineering businesses. I would say pre-COVID, we probably saw saw more. I don't know what the reason for that is, but in terms of people that are historically working off a CNC lathe, for example, we're not yeah. seeing a huge amount of. Uh, of problems associated with, with with engineering, and you mentioned the government support, and I'm sort of fully in, in agreement with you that there was a lot of money handed out to to businesses that probably would have made the last uh, made the two years had COVID not happened. Mm. What's the situation with these bounce back loans, with the C bills loans? How how do you handle them when they appear on the balance sheet of a of an insolvent business? Well, be- because they would not heard of bounce back loans or Seabills loans or furlough, um, but because they kind of dawned on us during uh, that time. And I suppose the first thing is they were, they were brilliant and um, they saved the fortunes of a lot of businesses. And, you know, most of the prospects that I had at first lockdown disappeared because all of a sudden they had a, a little bit of windfall that was determined by turnover rather than profitability and a lot of those businesses have carried on to be successful so there are success stories unfortunately however when 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 it goes the wrong way and that's happening quite a lot now and people applied for those offerings seat bills is kind of less of an issue from a uh, an investigatory point because there was a formal application process and therefore somebody had a look at the application had a look at whether the company was sustainable, was profitable, whether there was a, a plausible plan going forward in the traditional loan application way. Bounce back loans slightly different in that a lot of people simply were invited to go online and apply. I mean, there's a lot of debate about whether they were given adequate information at the time, but nevertheless, people went online because there was the attraction as, I can get 50k, I can apply for 50k and get 50k. What we're seeing, however, is now, and forget the stories of folk who bought a Ferrari, put an extension on the house, didn't use the money properly for the business. The extra layer of work that we're now kind of required to do 
or is that we have to look at whether there has been any abuse of those support facilities that were put in place by the government. And there are, there are two prongs to that. One is how the money has been spent, because I think the, the wording that the government used at the time was that it was to provide an economic benefit to the company. So where the economic benefit wasn't to the company, so it wasn't assisting cash flow, it wasn't investing in new capital equipment that might aid the business, uh, funding stock, funding wages, all those principal kind of areas where you know companies required a bit of support. If it was used for personal use, then if a company becomes insolvent, goes into a formal procedure, there are challenges for directors because the, there is the potential for them to become personally liable. So when we when we all hear somebody in the local pub bragging that they did put their deposit on their Ferrari, if their company goes bust, they'll be selling the Ferrari to pay the money back. That in short, that's that's what it's yeah. kind of about. You've also got the issue of conduct. So when with any director, when you, you you're faced with the prospect of a of a company not not having a future, the real concerns are. Is my conduct befitting? So am, am I going to get struck off as director and is somebody going to bring a claim to get some money off me? Am I going to lose my house? So with the COVID funding, misuse and using it for a, a personal basis can result in personal liability. And I've, I've seen many instances where that, that has happened, a lot of test cases. You then look at breach of duty. There are, and I, I have seen only a limited number. Thankfully, I haven't got a client base that's riddled with people that, uh, you know, took advantage of the process, but the scheme provided for 50 grand if you were turning over a quarter of a million quid and uh, a percentage of 25 lower than that. And if you put in an application pretending or purporting that you might achieve those levels and it wasn't realistic, then there's a breach of duty and you get your conduct questioned. The other issue is, and I, I, again, I have seen this where somebody's made multiple applications, so applied with two banks and got two chunks of uh, bounce back loan. And that's really frowned upon. So we are seeing more directors being disqualified for, uh, I suppose, the breach of duty around the application and the misuse of, of, of the funds. And more worrying, we're seeing people having claims brought against them for you know, misapplying the funds by using them personally or lending them to another company of theirs or, or, or what have you. So it is, it is uh, uh, you know, a hot potato, so to speak. I suppose the message is to, to people listening who've had bounce back loans and potentially going through these cash flow issues, I guess there's nothing really to worry about as long as you were completely truthful and you used the money as as intended, you should be absolutely fine. Absolutely. It was such a blur though, wasn't it? You know, back at the beginning. Of absolutely. The this all sort of came out, you know, thick of COVID. It was a panic reaction, wasn't it, though, Steve? I mean, well, the banks didn't even know what was going on, did they? You know, there were announcements coming out on the Thursday, Friday, saying things were launching on the Monday, and the banks weren't even briefed on it. You know, it's just. Would you know, Steve? I I, I say this a lot when sort of potential clients or worried people come in for a little bit of advice and say, you know, we log on to most things or we watch a lot of things on the TV at the moment, and we're encouraged to hit the red button to go and get some more information or to watch a, a a sequel or whatever it might be. With COVID, we were all watching the announcements, but I'm sure that somebody could have said, if you hit the red button now, someone will tell you the do's and don'ts. And that level of guidance, I don't think, was ever properly there, which that's not that's that's not helpful. And, uh, you know, as more and more people get challenged on it, it wouldn't surprise me if the, the you know, 
that, that, there'll be a lawyer out there thinking of a collective defence. It was such a panic. Stage, I'm sure. Yeah. Sorry, well, I was just about to say, it, it was such a panic at the time because I think the, the T-bills had come out and the banks, because they needed to um, have their security, were, were taking as long as they needed to, you know, to like they would with any other loan. And so I think that's when um, uh, Sunak, now Prime Minister, came in, said, OK, we're just going to give everybody up to 50,000. Do it now. We'll fully back it, and you can you can you can understand the mayhem yeah. that, co- that that caused. Yeah. Well, and the uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was up until the end of twenty two. Was it seventy seven billion was 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 laid out in the C bills, and the and HMRC have estimated that. Uh, sorry, dot gov have estimated that. Is it one point eight billion? was fraudulent and i think that's probably very conservative <laughs> you know um loads of controls yeah yeah i would agree no you mentioned uh people worried about their business what, what does the insolvency process mean for a business owner when should they start talking to you uh, and what would you typically say to them well you know you asked at the start about background and getting into insolvency and you know i've been around in insolvency for a number of too many years to mention really and the big challenge that we've had, or the profession has had all through that period, is encouraging people to come to us earlier. It's not an attractive thing to do, go to an office that's got the word insolvency attached to it. It's not the most appealing thing to phone up an insolvency practitioner. And it's a difficult thing for a professional to do to say to a client, I think you need some insolvency advice. So people tend to stay away perhaps longer than they should, because there are some simple kind of pointers that we can provide to people that would stand them in good stead you know you open up on a monday morning any business and there's an element of uncertainty to it businesses can quite simply hit a crossroads and it's all about the strategies that you have when you hit that crossroads or you see that there might be choices on the horizon and it's being able to demonstrate that you've you've kind of taken everything into account that you're acting reasonably and it's i suppose the value in coming to somebody like me to chat about that is we can explain what will be looked at down this wretched retroscope. Everybody's clever after the event, aren't they? A lot of people are reasonable, but they make mistakes. A lot of people are reasonable, but their decision doesn't turn out to be as positive as they might have anticipated. So when you're sat there on a particular day making a decision, make some notes. Explain why you took that decision, why you think it was reasonable to believe that the position would get better and if it doesn't improve and you ultimately have to stop, at least people can see that you've behaved in a in a manner that was looking to offer a reasonable solution to your creditors, to the people that wrote money, if you like. So the value in coming to us early is to is to help with that, I suppose, strategizing a, a plan and making sure that, as I say, you, you hold regular a lot of businesses only have one director, but still have a, a board meeting. It might just be called a diary make some notes the reason i paid him was this the reason that i entered into that contract was this the reason i gave it another month was because this big contract was going to land we might be a bit worse off now but because the contract didn't land but it was reasonable to kind of take that leap of uh, a leap of faith and yeah so i think sometimes we see people who have not necessarily done anything wrong but they find it difficult to explain because they can't remember why they made decisions on a regular basis. So I think that's the benefit in coming to us early. It's not because we're going to try and convert them into our next liquidation, our next administration. You know, if we start doing that, we we won't get clients off anybody. But coming to us early and finding out how the parameters work, 
where the risks are, how they can mitigate the position, record the position, make sure that they're not creating an environment where they're frail to criticism and claims, because those claims can result in personal liability, can result in disqualification. So it's really just helping with the sense checking and formulating, as I say, that that plan. And I suppose the, the question is then really, or just to emphasise, it's not the end when people come to see you. Is, it, is there a sort of, is there a balance between people who come to you and then after your advice they go off and they, they, they manage to turn it around or is, uh, do they come to you too late in the process, do you think? Yeah, no, I've got a, a cupboard full of details relating to businesses who have come to see us and never had to come back. The reason is that they may have been panicking in Julie. They may have been panicking quite rightly, but it took a few tips on board, things to think about, things to do, and they've managed to turn it around. I think, as I said, the critical thing is people understand that directors don't go on a course to be a director, do they? And it, but when a company goes bust, they, they get a load of legislation chucked at them that they would have never even contemplated. So there's a, so there's absolutely an unfairness about it, but it's difficult to comprehend that, well, I, I didn't know I couldn't pay them. Why is it a preference? You know, well, you're a director, so it's assumed to be. You know, the law tips in insolvency. There's a presumption of guilt rather than having to be proven to be guilty. And I think there's a lot of kind of worrying hurdles that you can avoid by just understanding at a at an earlier stage. And you know, it's amazingly easy, isn't it, to set up a company? And you're quite right to point out there's no yeah. manual on, on on running it. And we get a number of people come in and say, I've I've set up a company to do this and that. And you say, well, wh why did you set up a company? And it's because they yeah. thought they should. It's also the definitions of in the definitions of insolvency. You can't pay your debts when you fall due or your balance sheet's the wrong way. Well, if you stuck to that yeah. and there wasn't an element of, well, it's going to get better. With, well, most infant businesses would be gone in the first year anyway, wouldn't they? Yeah. So it's just knowing how to understand those rules and making sure that you're perceived to have been somebody that acted reasonably mm. and rationally rather than somebody who was just there allowing it to develop into an insolvent position with no regard to the interests of, of others. And I have to say, personally, most of the clients that I deal with fall into the honest director, honest mistakes. A third-party situation has probably contributed more to the failure of the company than than they have contributed to it themselves. Yes, yeah, so Mark, you, um, you mentioned that, that good advice to make a diary or have board minutes explaining your, your decision-making when the cash flow is looking quite tight. Do you have any other sort of tips you can leave our listeners with if they are at all concerned about the position of their business, especially, you mentioned several times, instances where directors can be personally liable, and I'm sure that, that, that worries quite a few people. Do you have any sort of tips or hints that, that you can impart to those people? Well, I think... I think the overriding one is take early advice, whether it's from somebody like me or their accountant, to make sure you they understand exactly where they're at, understand what they're aiming for and whether it's reasonable to aim for it. I mean, typically, I have a number of people approach me and say, I, I just can't pay the wages or I don't know how I'm going to pay the wages this month. What can I do? Well, in the, even in those instances, you can look at short-term borrowing as long as you're not going to make it worse. There are lots of financial products out there, invoice discounting, engage with debtors, maybe offer them a discount to pay you a bit more quickly, engage with your, your creditors, see if they'll give you a little bit more time. Creditors including the, the inland revenue who, although the inland revenue are naturally being more aggressive now on collections because they couldn't be aggressive during COVID, will still talk positively about 
time to pay arrangements to to buy an opportunity for for a little bit of time. Managed purchase ledger, and that's not a kick the uh, the creditor days down the avenue too far, but but just engage with people. You'd be surprised what people will do if you engage with them. Mm. We're having a tough month, we're having a tough time, but this is our this is our plan. It should be okay in a few weeks' time. But is there any chance we can just defer for a couple of weeks? I think. If you talk to people, they can deal with it. Even when you give people bad news, they can deal with it. If you bury your hand, your head, and become an ostrich in the sand, it's very difficult because people become antagonised and they won't give you any latitude. So I think, you know, in the words of uh, Spandau Ballet, communication is really important. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too young for that. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> uh, but I think the, 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 the overriding thing there is, is, is don't isolate yourself. It's. Um, we, I think we are all we're all people. We're, in, we're people in business, so don't isolate yourself. Yeah, and if and if you are, if you do have the feeling that you bury your head, don't, because no one will hold anything against you. You know, everybody needs to talk to somebody, don't they? We talk about health, welfare issues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think insolvency can develop into lots of other problems if it's not addressed. Um, yeah. That's really useful. Thank you very much, Mark. That's um, certainly an eye-opening or ear-opening uh, jaunt through uh, insolvency. Uh, How can people get hold of you, Mark? Well, they can visit our website and contact us through that. They can phone me personally, which is always the best way, on my mobile, 07920 They can come and talk to me behind the goal at Droitby Spa at most home games, or they can get hold of me through you guys, of course. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Catch you on the next one.